All right, you guys can turn to Isaiah chapter 36. That's where we're going to start this morning. Many years ago in the mental asylums of Europe, they would rely on some crude and pretty primitive testing to determine whether a mental patient was ready to be released back into the real world. And in one of these primitive tests, they would, they would flood a janitor's closet by putting a stopper in the sink drain and leaving the water running. And, and once the, the closet was completely wet, it was all soaked, they'd give the patient a mop and send him in. And they'd see what he'd do. They'd come back 10 minutes later. And they'd know that the guy is not ready to be released if the sink was still running. See, there's a lot of guys who would walk in and they would see the problem and they would just begin mopping. Over and over again, they would just be treating the symptom of the problem without getting to the root issue. They, they couldn't solve the heart of the problem so they weren't ready to be released. That's what they were missing, the root issue. Well, what is the root issue in our relationship with God? What is the heart of the matter in our relationship with him? Well, it's trust. That's what we've seen throughout the book of Isaiah. Life boils down to trust. Do you trust God? Our relationship with God begins with trust. You enter into an eternal, unbreakable relationship with God the moment that you trust that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. The second you believe that truth. You enter into an eternal relationship with him. So your relationship with God begins with trust, but God is not just looking for a moment of trust. What God wants from his people now that we're in this relationship with him, what he wants from us day in and day out, every day of our lives, what he wants above all else is trust. That is the root of the issue of life. The heart of the matter of your life is today, do you trust God? What God wants from you above all else is simply to trust him in every problem, in every challenge, in every opportunity, in every difficulty. God wants you to turn to him in trust. That's what God wants from you above all else. We are all going to face challenges in life. We're going to face trials. We're going to face difficulties. We're going to face temptations. Life boils down to whether in the midst of our trials this very day, will I turn to God in trust? Will I rely upon him to meet my needs, to take care of me? Or will I turn elsewhere? Will I turn to the things of this world? Will I turn to the things I bring to the table, my connections, my money, my abilities, my strengths? Will I rely upon myself or will I rely upon God? That's what life boils down to, trust. Today, will you trust God to take care of you? That is the fundamental question of the book of Isaiah. The whole book of Isaiah is written to you as a question of trust. Are you willing to trust God? That's what Isaiah is all about. Well, what have we seen so far in the book of Isaiah? Whole book boils down to whether the nation of Judah and particularly her kings, whether or not when push comes to shove, they will turn to God and trust or whether they'll turn to someplace else. What have we seen so far? Well, uh, not very good news. So far in the book of Isaiah, we have seen two tests of two kings both of whom have failed. Let me just review this for you for a moment. The first king to come under this test of trust is Ahaz, king of Judah in around 735 BC. He faces a crisis in Isaiah chapter seven. His northern neighbors, Syria and Israel, have allied together to conquer him, to destroy him. And and their combined army is much stronger than his. He cannot resist them. He desperately needs help. So where does he turn? No, not to God. Instead, he crafts this this brilliant political strategy. He turns to the enemy of his enemies, the kingdom of Assyria. He, He turns to them for help. Now, how does that work out for him? 
Well, not too well. Just one generation later, Assyria has indeed come and wiped Syria and Israel off the face of the map. They're gone, uh, but they weren't content to stop there. Why stop? Let's keep going. So now they are invading Judah. One generation later, now Hezekiah, Ahaz's son, is king of Judah, and he faces the same crisis all over again, just a new enemy. Now it's Assyria who is marching into the country, who is wiping out everyone who stands against them. Hezekiah can't hope to stand against Assyria. If Israel and Syria couldn't match him, then he certainly can't match him. He has no hope. So where is he going to turn? Well, just like his dad, not to the Lord. We studied that last week. Hezekiah, chapter 30 of the book of Isaiah, he turns to the one remaining superpower on the scene in this part of the world, of the nation of Egypt. He turns to them for help. And if you remember what we studied last week in chapter 30, because Hezekiah turns to Egypt for help rather than turning to the Lord, God sends Isaiah with a message of conviction and warning. Isaiah tells Hezekiah, bro, you've blown it. You're counting in Egypt and they cannot help you. Egypt cannot stand against Assyria. They're going to disappoint you. And sure enough, as Assyria marches into the cities of Judah, no one can stand against them. Even the mighty armies of Egypt are obliterated before the Assyrians. And city after city of Judah is utterly annihilated. And now they stand at the gates of Jerusalem. Now they are marching towards Jerusalem. And yet again, Hezekiah is in a moment of crisis. That's where our story picks up this morning. Chapters 36 through 39 of the book of Isaiah are are actually really unique in the book, really fun section we're looking at. It's all story. It's all narrative. And it tells the story of three tests of trust that God brings into Hezekiah's life. Three tests of trust. Each of these tests challenges Hezekiah in a different realm of life. And the first one challenges him in the realm of fear. God focuses first on this test that comes from the nation of Assyria that's marching into the kingdom of Judah. Let's pick up this first test, this test of fear. Chapter 36, verse 1. Now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and seized them. And the king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh from Lashish to Jerusalem to King Hezekiah with a large army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway of the fuller's field. Pick it up in verse 13. Then Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice in Judean and said, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. The city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me, and come out to me, and eat each of his vine and each of his fig tree, and drink each of the waters of his own cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Beware that Hezekiah does not mislead you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any one of the gods of the nations delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of the Seravaim? And when have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their land from my hand? That the Lord would deliver Jerusalem from my hand. Let me fill you in on what's going on here. We got a guy named Rabshakeh. That's probably not his name. It's probably his title. It means chief advisor to the king. This is the number two in charge of the armies of Assyria. 
And, and things are going so well for the king of Assyria, no city can stand against him, that he sends his number two off to Jerusalem, just a, a little ways, probably 20 miles from where the army of Assyria is right now, and he sends them to go demand their surrender, to threaten them. That's what, that's what he does. And, and the geography here is really significant. In, in verse two, notice this chief advisor, this number two of the Assyrian army, he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway of the fuller's field. That is actually the same spot, word for word, We're back in chapter 7. God sent Isaiah to test Ahaz's faith. He stood in this exact spot. He tested Ahaz's faith and Ahaz failed. And because Ahaz was not willing to trust God, now one generation later, it's not Isaiah the prophet standing in this spot. It's now the enemy. It's the leader of Assyria standing in this spot, threatening the people of God. And what does he threaten them with? He says, we're going to do to you, we're going to do to Jerusalem exactly what we've done to all the cities of our enemies. We're going to do to you what we've done to them, which in other words means we're going to annihilate you. That's what Assyria did. When they sieged a city, they annihilated it. The Assyrians were known worldwide for their violence. When they marched into a city, they either killed, raped, or enslaved every person inside of it. They were famous worldwide for their brutality, shocking acts of brutality that the Assyrians committed. And they're saying, we're going to do that to you. We're going to utterly annihilate all of you. But there is one way of escape. Notice the Assyrians offer one way out for Hezekiah. Back in verse 16, the king of Assyria says, don't listen to Hezekiah. Instead, come out and make peace with me. If you will surrender to me, if you will leave behind the city of your God, if you will leave behind your God and come to me and make peace with me, then I'll let you return to your homes and then I'll come and deport you to a pleasant land, a land just like yours. I'll let you live if you surrender. And now Hezekiah faces his choice. He faces his test. Will he buckle to fear and surrender to the Assyrians or will he stand strong in faith? Even in the midst of his fear, will he trust God to deliver him? How does Hezekiah respond? Look at chapter 37. And when King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth and entered the house of the Lord. Then he sent Elakim, who was over the household with Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests covered with sackcloth to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz. They said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of distress, rebuke and rejection. For children have come to birth and there is no strength to deliver. Perhaps the Lord your God will hear the words of Rebshekah, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God, and he will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, offer a prayer for the remnant that is left. What is Hezekiah doing here? He is responding to God in faith. He is responding to God in trust in the midst of this crisis of fear. First, he tears his clothes and dresses himself in sackcloth. That was a universal symbol in the ancient world of humility. He's humbling himself before God. He's he's repenting before the Lord and And he enters into the house of the Lord. He goes to the temple and he praises the Lord and he sins for Isaiah because he recognizes Isaiah speaks for God. So, So come Isaiah, bring us a word from the Lord. And what's really remarkable in these verses is what Hezekiah says to Isaiah. Hezekiah is is remarkably humble here. He says, this is a day of rebuke. In other words, God is rebuking me. Why? Well, because these children have come to birth, but there's no strength to deliver. That's actually Hezekiah's confession to the Lord. These children, that's the alliance I put together. My brilliant plan, I brought together this alliance of, of Egypt and these surrounding nations. Brilliant, it seemed to me. We could resist Assyria, but now that Assyria is here, there is no strength to deliver. 
The alliance is falling apart before the unbreakable might of the Assyrians. And now the nation of Judah is collapsing and it's all my fault, Isaiah. It's my fault. I crafted this plan. I did not rely upon God. I relied upon my strength and wisdom. And now it is failing me. There is no hope left. And so Hezekiah turns to the Lord and prays, please God, deliver us. Please rebuke this man, this idolater, this blasphemer. Show him that you are God. Help us, God. Hezekiah responds to crisis in faith. He turns to the Lord in trust. He'll do the same thing a few verses later. Look, uh, later in chapter 37, we'll pick it up in verse 10. A second threat comes. The king of Assyria threatens the city of Jerusalem again. This time he does it by sending a letter. And here's what the letter said, verse 10. Thus you shall say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, destroying them completely. So will you be spared? Did the gods of those nations which my fathers have destroyed deliver them, even Gozan and Haran and Resif and the sons of Eden who were in Telassar? He's threatening the same thing here. Uh, Hezekiah, I'm going to do the same thing to you that I did to them. Complete annihilation. I'm going to kill all of you. Okay, and so Hezekiah, again, he faces this test. Will he trust or will he surrender? Look at verse 14. Then Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And he went up to the house of the Lord and he spread this letter out before the Lord. Hezekiah prayed to the Lord saying, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, who is enthroned above the cherubim, you are the, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and listen to all the words of Sennacherib, who sent them to reproach the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated all the countries in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone, so they have destroyed them. But now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. What Hezekiah is doing is once again in the moment of crisis, he is turning to God in faith. He enters the temple again and he goes to the Lord in worship. He worships God as Lord of hosts. Remember what that phrase means in the book of Isaiah. It means Lord of all armies. Yahweh, you are Lord of all armies. Even the army of Assyria, you are sovereign over it. You have control over all the earth because you alone are God. Their gods are idols. They're nothing. You only are God. You are creator of all of heaven and earth. You know all things. You have all power. You are infinite. Hezekiah begins with worship and then he concludes with prayer. He concludes with supplication. Please, because you are awesome, because you alone are God, please deliver us. Deliver us not because we're worthy. We're not. I blew it, deliver us so that all the world may know that you alone are God. Hezekiah responds to the Lord in trust. This is great news because uh, when Hezekiah faced his first test from Assyria back in chapter 30, he blew it. Didn't respond in trust, turned to Egypt. Now he faces a new test, a new test of trust, and he succeeds. He passes with flying colors. He turns to the Lord in faith. And how does God respond? Well, let's, let's look back a few verses. How does God respond to Hezekiah's trust? Look at verse 6. Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he will hear a rumor and return to his own land. And I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. What God is doing here is saying, Hezekiah, because you have trusted in me, therefore you have no reason to fear. I'm bigger than the king of Assyria and I'm going to take care of him. 
I am going to deliver you from his army. King of Assyria will never make it into Jerusalem. I'm going to plant a rumor in his mind. I'm going to to move in such a way that turns the mind of the king of Assyria so that he flees from your presence. God's going to plant a rumor in this guy's mind, this greatest leader of the whole world that instills fear in him, anxiety in him. And he's going to take his army and march back to his homeland. And then in his homeland, God is going to bring about the death of this king. He'll be murdered in his own country. That's what God promises as a result of Isaiah's faith or of Hezekiah's faith. Fortunately for us, it doesn't take long for God to fulfill that promise. Look at the end of chapter 37. Starting in verse 36, God's words come true. Look at verse 36. Then the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men arose early in the morning, behold, all of these were dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. It came about as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, that Adramelech and Sherezar, his sons, killed him with the sword. And they escaped into the land of Ararat, and Esherhardan, his son, became king in his place. What does God do? Because Hezekiah was willing to trust God, God delivers Hezekiah and the nation of Judah. God takes care of him. And it's, it's interesting here. The, the, the army of Assyria has not quite made it to Jerusalem. They're somewhere between Jerusalem and Egypt at this point. And before they can even make it to Jerusalem, God sends his angel among them. And in one night, he slaughters 185,000 of them. Now, we we don't know how. We don't know what he did. Our best guess is it was like a fast-acting plague, like the bubonic plague. Overnight, they're all dead. And then how does the king of Assyria respond? (laughs) Exactly like God promised he would. He gets afraid. He's fearful. And so he takes what's left of his army and he marches home. He goes home. This ruler of the world runs away. And he goes back to his kingdom. And it's really interesting when you look at history. He actually ran back up north to the kingdom of Assyria. And he hung out there for 20 years. He never came back. For 20 years, he lived in his homeland. He never came back to Judah. Why? Because he was terrified. Because 185,000 of his men had died in one night. He stays at home until 20 years after these events. He is going into the temple one morning of his blasphemous God, his idolatrous God. He prays before his idol and his sons come in and murder him. Just as God had promised. This is, is really pretty shocking what God is doing here. I want you to notice the irony. Hezekiah goes into the real temple and prays to the real God and experiences real deliverance. The king of Assyria, the most powerful man on earth, goes into his idolatrous temple and prays to his idolatrous God and experiences death. No one would have seen this coming. Hezekiah gets to keep his throne. The king of Assyria loses his by the hands of his own sons. God totally turns world affairs on their heads. He totally changes the map simply because Hezekiah was willing to trust. In the midst of fear, in the midst of crisis, Hezekiah chose to believe that God could be depended upon and God moved heaven and earth. He did incredible things to deliver Hezekiah. For us in our own lives, every time we face fear, Every time you face anxiety, every time you face stress, that is an opportunity to trust God. Your trust is being tested. Will you turn to God in the midst of your fear? This is your opportunity to demonstrate to the watching world that God is worthy of your trust. It's your opportunity to demonstrate to the world that no problem is too big for God, that even the most fearful problems, the most overwhelming problems can be taken to God in faith. That's what every opportunity, every time you feel fear, it's an opportunity to demonstrate trust in God. Hezekiah steps up and he does a great job. 
He trusts God in the midst of this test of fear. But God is not done with him yet. All of life is a series of tests. Our trust is being tested every day. So God's got a new test for Hezekiah. And it comes in a different arena of life. Chapter 38. God is not going to be testing Hezekiah in the realm of fear. He's going to be testing Hezekiah in the realm of affliction. Look with me at chapter 38. In those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Okay, so the first test was a national crisis, a military crisis. The second test is a health crisis. Hezekiah has some fatal illness. We don't know what it is. It's incurable. Uh, He is told that his life is very short. He is fading away. You have only enough time to get your affairs in order because you're about to die. Okay, so um, this is a pretty serious test. Hezekiah's life is about to come to an end because of this illness. Now, I think for a lot of us, this is a test we can really identify with. The whole Assyrian army marching in thing, that's kind of hard for us to identify with. We don't face anything quite like that. Um, But this idea of an illness, hmm. We know what that's about. Just like Hezekiah, our bodies are breaking down and decaying. A lot of you are in college. You don't feel it yet, but it's coming. (laughs) You are going to face crises of health throughout your life. That's just what life involves. That's why they're building so many medical centers and hospitals in this town, because it is common to face crises of health. You either have already faced it or you will in the future face some health crisis. And when you do, the question is, where will you turn? What will you do when you're faced with affliction? Well, let's see what Hezekiah does. Pick it up in chapter 38, verse 2. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech you, how I have walked before you in truth and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. What Hezekiah is doing here is the same thing he did in the first test. He's responding to God in trust. He's turning to God for help. Now, now notice, as Hezekiah turns to God, he's not sugarcoating things. He doesn't put on a happy face for God. No, he's, he's grief-stricken. He is in pain. He is in mourning. He is weeping before God. He is honest with his pain. He is honest with his grief. But here's what matters. Where does he take his pain? To God, not to other people. He doesn't go to other people and complain about how unfair God is. He doesn't go to other people and badmouth God. He doesn't give in to bitterness or despair. No, he turns to God. He's honest with his pain, but he takes it to God. Actually, it tells us he turns his face away from everybody else in the room. He looks away from them and looks at the wall. And before God alone, he takes this crisis. He takes his needs. He goes before the Lord in prayer. In other words, Hezekiah does it again. He succeeds. He trusts God. In the moment of crisis, the boy steps up and he does an awesome job trusting in God. He takes his pain to God. And how does God respond? What does God do when Hezekiah chooses to trust? Well, look, starting in verse four. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying, go and say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of your father, David, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you in this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. Hezekiah responds in faith, and as a result, God promises deliverance. What God cares about above all else in life is that we will trust him. When we choose to trust him, he steps up and delivers. That's what God promises to do. Hezekiah, I'm going to add 15 years to your life. I'm going to heal you of this disease and extend your life. Now, there's something really interesting. I want you to look down at verse 21. 
Kind of an odd verse, but really significant. Now Isaiah had said, let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. Cake of figs, what's that about? Well, back in Hezekiah's day, that's what we would call modern medicine. That's going to the pharmacist. That's the best they got in the ancient world. Apply the cake of figs to the boil. What we're learning here is, is this principle that often miracles and medicine are not opposed to each other. Actually, God often chooses to do miraculous things through medicine. That's what he does for Hezekiah. He takes the, the medicine of the day, modern medicine back then, and uses it to heal the guy. So don't feel like medicine and, and miracles are mutually exclusive. They often fit together. God promises this awesome act of deliverance. He promises to heal Hezekiah, but um, God is really amazing. He doesn't want to just promise to heal Hezekiah. He wants to prove to Hezekiah ahead of time that he's going to heal him. So look with me at verse 7. This shall be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has spoken. Here's the sign, Hezekiah, that God is going to heal you. Behold, I will cause the shadow on the stairway, which has gone down with the sun on the stairway of Ahaz, to go back ten steps. So the sun's shadow went back ten steps on the stairway on which it had gone down. Now what's going on here? This stairway, it's, it's in Hezekiah's palace. We, we don't know where it was, but uh, it was kind of used as like a sundial, a clock back then. And as the day progressed, you would watch the shadow progress down the stairway. You could mark time that way. What's God doing? He's saying, Hezekiah, I want you to have confidence. I want you to have peace that I'm going to heal you. I want you to have peace. And here's how I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to cause that shadow to go the opposite direction. Now, I want you to think about what you know about shadows. How does that happen? How does a shadow go backwards? Well, there's only three options I can think of. Either God moved the sun, or he moved the earth, or he changed how light refracts through the atmosphere. Um, either way, this is a crazy miracle. Whatever God is doing here, he's either messing with the solar system, or he's messing with the laws of physics just to give this guy peace. Do you notice that? This isn't how God healed him. The healing's already taken care of. This is just to give Hezekiah confidence. God messes with the solar system or the laws of physics just to give Hezekiah confidence. There is no limit to what God will do for his people when they will believe, when they will trust. Just to give this guy confidence, God literally moves heaven and earth. God is awesome for Hezekiah. When Hezekiah believes, God steps in and faithfully delivers him. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I find um, chapters 36 through 38 of Isaiah to be incredibly refreshing. Preaching through the book of Isaiah so far, to be honest, has not been really fun for me. Uh, first half of the book, really pretty depressing. It is a story of person after person failing and incurring the wrath of God. That's chapters 1 through 35. Everybody fails and everybody's judged. It's really dark. As I've gone through Isaiah, it reminds me of this, this cave at Enchanted Rock State Park that I used to go through um, all growing up. And, and it's about a quarter mile long cave. It's really narrow and it is pitch black. And you walk through this cave and it is confining and it is oppressive. The walls are right around you and the air is dank and it is pitch black. And, and I really, I don't enjoy doing it, but we we're always with the youth group and there are always girls around. So I always felt peer pressure to go back into the cave. And so I'd be marching through this cave and I, I really don't like it, but it was all better when all of a sudden after a quarter mile, you would burst out into the sunshine and the fresh air on the side of that granite dome. That's what chapters 36 and 38 are to me. They are a breath of fresh air. Finally, a king of Judah does what God expects. Finally, he believes. Finally, he trusts God. And in response to his trust, God unleashes blessing and deliverance rather than wrath and judgment. I love these chapters. 
I just wish Hezekiah's story ended here. If, if it was only chapters 36 to 38 this morning, it'd be a good day. Unfortunately, it continues in chapter 39. And Hezekiah gets a third test, a very different test. It's very unlike the other two. Look with me starting in chapter 39. At that time, Merodach Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. Hezekiah's circumstances have changed. This is not a time of crisis. He's not being threatened militarily. And this is not a time of of health illness. He is now healed. This is actually a very different test. This is a test that comes in the midst of a time of affluence and affirmation. Hezekiah has been incredibly blessed by the Lord. God has supernaturally healed him. God has enriched him and blessed him. And people are starting to take notice. Powerful people. The kingdom of Babylon. Here's map again. Uh, You have Judah, you have Assyria. And to the east, you have Babylon. Huge, powerful, incredibly wealthy kingdom. And the king of this kingdom, Merodach Baladin, an incredibly charismatic man, rich, powerful, uh, a celebrity figure in the world. He was very well known. He had actually been king of Babylon twice by this time. Uh, I think he'd kind of be like, a, like President Obama and George Clooney rolled into one, both world leader and celebrity all together. And this incredibly influential, powerful, world-renowned man suddenly takes notice of Hezekiah. This little king of this little land out west, he takes notice and he sends his ambassadors with gifts. They want to go honor Hezekiah. And now it's time for test number three. In the midst of of the temptation of fame and honor, how will Hezekiah respond? When everything is good, when his life is full of affluence and affirmation, will Hezekiah continue to trust the Lord? Will he look to God for his significance, for his confidence in life or Will he look elsewhere? Will he turn to Babylon for significance and honor? Well, let's look. Let's see how this works out. Chapter 39, again, verse 2. Hezekiah was pleased and showed them all his treasure house, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious oil and his whole armory and all that was found in his treasuries. There was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show to them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to the king and said to him, what did these men say? And from where have they come to you? And Hezekiah said, they have come to me from a far country, from Babylon. He said, what have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasuries that I have not shown them. So they show up and Hezekiah shows them all his stuff. Now, is that good or bad? Has he passed or has he failed? Well, we we get a commentary on this incident in 2 Chronicles. Here's what's going on. In those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill and he prayed to the Lord and the Lord spoke to him and gave him a sign. That was test number two. Here's test number three. But Hezekiah gave no return for the benefit he received because his heart was proud. Therefore, wrath came on him and on Judah and on Jerusalem. In other words, God has just done this miraculous thing in Hezekiah's life. He has healed Hezekiah. He has moved heaven and earth to give Hezekiah confidence. And how does Hezekiah respond? Not with praise, not with thanks, but with pride. And just picture this, these men, these pagan men come from Babylon, a nation that has probably never heard of God. They don't know who the true God is. They come to Hezekiah's house. They come to ask, what has happened? Tell us about this miracle. What an opportunity for the gospel. What an opportunity to tell these men, let me introduce you to the one true God. Is that what Hezekiah does? No. 
He wastes this incredible opportunity on himself. Instead of talking about God, he talks about himself. Instead of rolling out the the goodness and greatness of God, he rolls out all of his treasures. He shows them off because he wants the approval of Babylon. He wants to feel good about himself by parading out his splendor for them. Hezekiah blows it. He doesn't respond in trust. He really doesn't care what God thinks of him. He responds by turning to Babylon. By caring more about what the Babylonians think than what God thinks. And how does God respond to that failure? What does God do in response? Well, let's pick it up in verse 5. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that your fathers have have laid up in store to this day will be carried to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your sons who will issue from you, whom you will beget, will be taken away and they will become officials in the palace of the king of Babylon. In other words, God says, Hezekiah, because you were not willing to trust me, because you turned your trust, your affections to the Babylonians, I'm going to take away all your wealth and I'm going to give it to them. I'm going to take away what you're depending upon, your wealth, your prestige, your honor, and I'm going to give it to the people whom you care about, to the Babylonians. God is turning the tables on Hezekiah. One generation later, it would not be the Assyrians, it would be the Babylonians who would finally conquer the nation of Judah, all because Hezekiah gave in to pride. God turns the tables on him. It's interesting how history repeats itself. Hezekiah's dad, Ahaz, he had cared more about what the Assyrians thought of him than what God thinks, so what did God do? He turned the Assyrians against him. Now, one generation later, Hezekiah cares more about what the Babylonians think about him than what God thinks, so God turns the Babylonians against him. Have this just incredible instance of failure, this incredible tragedy. After he had done so well, he falls, and I don't want you to miss the irony here. When life was really, really difficult for Hezekiah, when he was oppressed by this abject fear, the Assyrians are at the gates, he responded in faith. He trusted the Lord. And then when he's overwhelmed by this affliction, this fatal illness, his life is ebbing away, what does he do? He trusts, he succeeds, he turns to the Lord. But then when life is easy, when life is full of affluence and affirmation, what does he do? He fails. Hezekiah failed in the easy times, not the hard times. What Hezekiah's example proves to us is it, is it is often more difficult to walk with the Lord in faith in times of affluence than in times of affliction. I have a friend, a guy named Samuel, and he is a, a pastor of a church in a country where it is not legal for him to be a pastor. And so as a result, he faces persecution all the time. At any time, he could lose his house, he could lose his job, he could lose his finances, he could be imprisoned because of his faithfulness to the Lord. He faces persecution every day. But what's remarkable to me is that in my interactions with Samuel, he has asked me explicitly, Blake, please do not pray that God would remove the persecution. Blake, I don't want God to remove the persecution that my church is facing. Why? Because that persecution from the government, it drives us to our knees in dependence upon God. We have nowhere else to turn. So we constantly turn to God and trust. What Samuel understands, which Hezekiah failed to understand, is that times of affluence are often more difficult to walk through than times of affliction. When things are easy, when they are comfortable, we're tempted to just coast. We're tempted to be confident in ourselves. Life is easy. I don't need the Lord. I don't turn to the Lord because I got things covered. And then we set ourselves up for failure just like Hezekiah did. He failed when times were easiest. Hezekiah is a mixed bag. Two successful tests, one major failure. 
From his life, I think we can draw a lot of lessons, but two lessons in particular that I want to leave you with this morning, two big ideas that I want us to learn once and for all from the, from the example of Hezekiah. Number one, I think the first thing that Hezekiah teaches us is that God is absolutely worthy of our trust in any and every situation. Think about those first two tests. When Hezekiah responds to the Lord in trust, what does God do? Well, in test number one, he steps in and slaughters 185,000 Assyrians in one night. And he steps in and he plants this rumor, this fear, this anxiety. In the mind of the king of Assyria, the most powerful man on the whole earth, God turns his head and marches him home in fear. And then think about the second test. What does God do? He, he cures an incurable disease. And then just to give Hezekiah confidence, he messes with the solar system or the laws of physics. In other words, there is no problem that we have that is too big for God. If he can mess with the solar system to give Hezekiah confidence, then he can pretty much take care of anything you got. That's the lesson of the story of Hezekiah. There's nothing too big for God. There's no problem too great for him. Everything we face is easy for God. He can take care of it in an instant. Now, that does not necessarily mean that God is going to heal you or make your life easier. He's not promised to do that. He may heal you. He may make your life easier or he may not. What he has promised to do is that in the midst of your trials and the midst of your challenges, he will be with you. He will strengthen you. He will deliver you from fear. He will give you peace and joy even in the midst of your trials. That's what God promises to do. He is going to be with you and bless you even in the midst of your trials if you will trust him. Now, there may be some of you here this morning that that there's something going on in your life that just feels too big for anyone to fix. Maybe it's some sin that is so deeply entrenched, you've been giving into it for so long that you can't imagine ever giving it up. You can't imagine giving it up so you never turn it over to God. You've just given up hope. Or maybe it's some relationship that is so broken, you can't imagine that relationship being restored and fixed and blessed. You've just given up hope on it. Maybe it's some illness you can't imagine getting better from, some physical ailment. Whatever it is in your life, God wants you to know and believe this morning that it is not too big for him. It's time this morning to begin to believe again. If God can tweak the solar system, then he can fix your problem. He can do whatever it takes to bring healing and blessing into your life and into the lives of those you love. Don't give up on God. This morning, recommit your trust to him. Whatever your problem is, no matter how big it is, no matter how insurmountable it feels, God is big enough to take care of it. If you will trust, if you will simply believe. Second lesson that I think that Hezekiah teaches us is that every day brings a test of our trust. Now, in his wisdom, God allowed Isaiah to record a few of the tests of trust that Hezekiah faced, but I'm convinced that Hezekiah faced tests of trust every day of his life, whether big tests or small tests, tests in difficult times, tests in pleasant times. Every day is a test of our trust. Living this side of heaven, not able to see God face to face, living in a world cursed by sin, a world that has rejected God, every day of our lives, our faith is going to be tested. In this day, in the challenges and trials you face today, will you trust God? Will you walk in faith? That's the most important question you answer every day. Will you trust God today? And remember from Hezekiah's example, success yesterday doesn't guarantee success today. 
He had two good tests, but then he failed the third. Every day is a new test, a new challenge, a new opportunity to trust God in the midst of the challenges of life. And remember again from the life of Hezekiah, often the most challenging days will not be the hard days, it'll be the easy days. It's harder to walk with God in times of affluence and affliction. Every day will be a test day. Every day, your faith, your trust in God will be tested. You will be challenged. Will you trust God? That is the most important question of your life. Every day when you wake up, will you trust God today? Will you rest in him? Will you turn to him in the trials and temptations and challenges of life? If you will, then he will deliver you. He will strengthen you. He will bless you. He will give you peace and joy. He will sustain you. He's guaranteed it. He will take care of you if you will only trust. Let's turn to him and ask for his help. Heavenly Father, first and foremost, we praise you and thank you that you are a God worthy of our trust. We thank you and praise you that there is no problem too big for you, that you have unlimited strength, infinite might, that you are perfectly wise, that you are always good. Thank you, Lord, that there is nothing beyond your scope that is beyond your limits, Lord. You can do anything. Lord, we praise you for that. We praise you that you are worthy of our trust. But Lord, we come before you and we confess uh, it can be so hard, Lord, to walk in faith. And the challenges that we face, it's so tempting to look at the things of this world. It's so tempting to look to ourselves, to to the things that we can offer, Lord, to rely upon the things of this world. Father, help us. Help us to grow to be people who truly trust you people who truly believe every day that that you will take care of us, that we can rely upon you. Lord, grow us to be a people of faith. I pray, Father, that you would do whatever it takes, that you would do whatever we need, whether that's breaking us, putting us on our knees before you. Lord, do whatever it takes to grow us to be a people who will trust you day in and day out, in good times and bad. Help us to be a people who trust. Lord, I pray that you would grow our faith. We need your help so much, Father. We pray this all in the name of your son, who is worthy of our praise. Amen. All right, well, I want to leave you guys with uh, one thing. As we walk through the book of Isaiah, you may feel like a lot of the events we're covering are really foreign to you. You may have not read until today about what God did with the whole stairway and the sun and think, wow, that's a neat story. For a lot of us, a lot of the events in the Old Testament are a little hard to understand, hard to remember. I want to encourage you guys, I believe this is next weekend, walk through the Old Testament. It's an incredible opportunity. One day seminar, we're going to gather together. A really awesome speaker is going to walk us through the whole Old Testament in one sitting. Okay, not, not reading every verse, but walking us through all the big events, all the major people, the big themes, the big ideas. I went through this myself. It was unbelievably helpful to understand the Bible. So if you have the time, if you can free it up, you can register today. Come to walk through the Bible. It will be so worth your time. It will help you really understand what's going on in the book of Isaiah and the entire Old Testament. So God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.